You may be seated. Well, Jesus once told a story uh, that I'd like to begin with. It's found in Luke chapter 18, verses 10 through 3. You don't need to turn there. I'll just read that to you. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector, he stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but as he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So which one of these two guys would you like to hang out with? Which, which one do you think perhaps, you know, I could be friends with that person. Do, is there one that you would trust more than the other? Or is there one that you could say, I can identify, I think I'm more like that person. One of them has spent his whole life studying God's word and teaching God's word and teaching others to obey God's word. Where the other one was literally in bed with a wicked, oppressive government, and then he would extort his fellow countrymen and take money from them as a tax collector to his own personal gain and profit. One never cheated on his wife, and he gave a tenth of everything that he's ever earned to God. And the other admits that he's done all kinds of sins. So, which one are you most like? I'd like to say this morning, at our core, both of these guys or at their core, both of these guys are the same. They both have a desperate need for approval. At the core, we're that way too. We should see ourselves in these men. We all have a desperate need for approval. Some of us will seek it from others. Some of us will think, I don't need approval from other people, and so we get it from ourselves, and we kind of take pride in that. And then a few find it from God. But at the core of all of our actions is this need for approval, and we seek to gain it, again, from others, ourselves, or God. You know it's true. You don't get up at 5 a.m. to go do CrossFit just because you want to be healthy, and you don't stay late after work and be the last person there just because you want to serve your clients. There's this need for approval. And I want to tell you it's not a bad thing. I think we were hardwired for it when God thought us up from the very beginning of creation. We want to hear you're good, you're acceptable, you're approved. And it's funny to me, even if people deny the existence of a creator, they can't deny that thing inside of them that longs to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So where does this come from? What is this thing? Well, per Maslow's hierarchy of needs, a th psychological theory, esteem and love and belonging these are essential components of human motivation, and we all experience it, right? We want to hear, well done, when we do a good job at work, all right? We all get that sense of pride if we get called out and recognized for some of the good things that we do, all right? For me, I, I hope to get my wife Jill's approval by doing little things around the house, right? Changing over the laundry, emptying the dishwasher, taking our little dog Tucker out for a walk, taking out the garbage, and my wife's fantastic. I get, we've been married over 30 years now, and she just is consistent at just showing appreciation for those things. Unless she can tell I'm pining for approval, and then I get the eye roll. It's like, oh, here it goes again. <laughs> then there's social media. How many of you are into social media? 
Thank you for the honest people in the room. Uh, the rest of you are liars, and you really need to uh, come into this message. No, I'm teasing. Um, I've gotten swept up into it. Uh, you know, we scroll through the highlight of our friends' feeds and vacations and the latest fashion they're wearing, the activities they're doing, the meals they're eating. I, I still don't quite get that one, but hey, some people really like that. And uh, it's easy to get swept up if we post something on how many likes we get and who's checking in and what comments they're leave, uh, leaving. Um, our son, Michael, uh, he's a senior at Lake Nona High School. Uh, he's had quite a year and quite a career in football. And uh, this last February, Division I football offers started flowing in. And so it's very customary uh, for the student athletes who are getting these offers uh, to make a little promotion, put it out on their, on their Twitter feed, and, and you know, then the world begins to know what's going on. And yeah, sure, I'm sure there's some pride in that and being able to do that, but let me tell you, the coaches expect it. There was one coach that Michael got an offer at night, he had some homework and he didn't get around to posting it till the next day. And in between time, the coach texted him and said, hey man, where's the love? You know, I just offered you a scholarship. And, and so he learned from that, I'm gonna get it out right away. And so they expect him to kind of get this information out. Well, as the proud dad that I am, I, I wanted to get the world out too. I reasoned with myself, we have family all over the world, we have friends all over the world, and so uh, they'll wanna know what's going on. And so I took Michael's uh, publications, I put it on my Facebook page, on my Twitter feed, and the likes and the comments kept pouring in and kept coming on and coming, and, and it was really fun. I, I gotta admit, I gotta rush seeing how many likes, how many comments, how many people were tuning in. Then it dawned on me. There's been nothing in my life that's been nearly that exciting to anybody else. I've never got that amount of likes. And uh, this has got to be pathetic. I don't know. Well, it turns out scientists are telling us that our brains actually release a little dopamine every time we get checked in by somebody on our social media. Did you know that? That's why it can actually become addictive. Dopamine is that little chemical that gives us that momentary kind of feeling of, of happiness. Um, and it's something our brain produces. And when we get a like, uh, we get it. And so uh, I'm not saying uh, here that you need to give up your social media. Not at all. Now, some of you, if you're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I'll, I'll leave that between you and him. Um, but what I'm trying to illustrate is that we all look for approval. And it's not a bad thing. It's hardwired in us. But here's the issue. What we're after is something far more than accumulating likes on a Twitter feed. It's something far deeper. It's at the level of our worth. It's at the level of our, our identity. And some of us are missing that connection and we're settling for the saccharine sweet substitute of electronic head nods. You see, there's a kind of approval that applauds life and then there's another kind that actually produces a changed life. And that's the kind of approval that God wants us to get to. We see this kind of deeper approval in one of Robin Williams' best roles, in my opinion, in a movie called The Fisher King. And it powerfully illustrates the deeper level of approval we need and the power it has. He plays a homeless guy named Perry, and he goes on a date with a woman named Lydia, and she's very shy, she's very introverted, she has a very low self-esteem, and she's convinced no one really wants to get to know her, and if they do, they will reject her. So at the end of the date, she said, I had a wonderful time, and I never want to see you again. 
To which Barry, played by Robin Williams, says, what? That makes no sense. And so she says, well, you see, this is how it works. We'll exchange numbers, and, and then you'll leave, and you'll go to work, and you'll feel so good for one day. Then you won't call, and then you won't call again, and, and then you'll never call. And slowly but surely, I'll feel like a piece of dirt. And I don't even know why I'm putting myself through this thing again tonight. It was very nice to meet you. Goodbye. And then Perry grabs her arm. He says, wait, I I have a confession to make. And she says, you're married? He says, no, here's my confession. I already know all about you. And not just tonight. I know you hate your job. I know that you don't have many friends, that you feel uncoordinated, and that you're convinced that if people got to know you, they'd reject you. I know all about you, but I love you, and I think you're the greatest thing since spice racks. I'd be happy to get knocked out over and over again if I can just give that, get that first kiss. I won't, I won't, I won't be distant. I will always call. I'll always call if you'll let me. And before our eyes, Lydia is transformed. And she reaches out and she touches him and she says, you're, you're real. It's a powerful scene. Because it it shows us what can happen when someone who's desperately afraid of being known, who's desperately fearful of being scrutinized, that someone might find something about her that would cause her to not be loved. But instead, she can be fully loved and fully known. It's a powerful thing. That kind of approval changes her, and it will change us too. And God knows that. But we're so afraid that that kind of approval doesn't exist. And so we settle for a lesser approval, an approval that really doesn't know us, an approval that really doesn't see us, an approval that applauds a changed life but can never produce one. You see, we change in order to get approval, but the approval from God changes us. Jesus knows this, and this is what he's talking about in today's passage that we're going to be looking at in the Sermon on the Mount, starting in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn along with me. Uh, You can look it up on your app or there in the bulletin we've provided the passage for you. Let me read this. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand to pray or to pray standing in their synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Drop down to verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast... 
Put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is God's word. Now, you saw that I skipped down a couple of verses, the Lord's Prayer. We're we're not skipping over the Lord's Prayer. Jim's going to actually cover that in next week's sermon. Uh, But today we're looking at the practicing our righteousness in secret. And Jesus says there's three signs of piety, three ways to be religious. Gifts to the poor, prayer, and fasting. In fact, a a popular writing from around this time period, 200 BC, um, from the Tobit, uh, 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 chapter 12, verse 8, it says this, prayer is good when it is accompanied by fasting and almsgiving, in other words, gifts to the poor, and by righteousness. So Jesus is mentioning these three common practices in Jewish culture, but his emphasis doesn't fall on the deeds themselves, but on the heart that's behind the deeds. Again, in verse one, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Why not? If you do, you'll have no reward from your father in heaven. So let's stop right there. He's saying the problem with your religion is it's a show. When he says the word to be seen by them, the Greek word is theotomai, which is what we get. It's the root that we get the word theatrical. He's saying your practice of righteousness is nothing more than theater. And then in verse 2, he calls them hypocrites. And the word there, hypocritase, um, is literally an actor on the stage. He's saying, you're nothing more than a religious actor. You're just up in front of people wearing a mask, and you're pretending to be something that you're truly not. So he exposes the hypocrisy of the heart that seeks to use religious practices, think about this for a minute, to make ourselves look good. Oh, the heart can go to some really amazingly dark places, can't it? And we do all of this just to get our approval. Now, notice he doesn't say, if you give, if you pray, if you fast. He says, when you give, when you pray. And so he assumes that we're doing those things. And if you're not doing those things, um, it's not necessarily the the point Jesus is making here, but I'd encourage you to think about that and ask yourself this week, uh, what's going on? Um, Also, Jesus is not saying that it's wrong to be seen or pray uh, when you're giving or praying or fasting. It's not wrong if people see you do this. Rather, it's wrong to do this in order to be seen. Do you see the difference? I've had people do this. I've been here at Summit now for over 10 years, and routinely we like to thank people that give. And I was the head of a missions agency. We had all kinds of donors, so I'd reach out to them and thank them frequently. I can't tell you the number of times, based on a wrong understanding of these verses, I've had people come up to me and say, oh, don't thank me, don't thank me for that. I don't want to lose my reward. Well, first of all, let me assure you, I don't have that kind of power. I can't cause you to lose your reward. And if it would help you, I could write you a note and say you are officially unthanked. All right, so it's, it's not legalism that Jesus is after here. It's a heart motive. And he has the x-ray machine of our heart, and he can tell what's going on inside of there. All right. He's saying, it's not, he's not saying it's wrong to be seen doing these things, but it's wrong to do these things in order to be seen. And in fact, a little bit earlier in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, if you'll remember, Jesus said, let your light shine before men um, in order 
to be seen by them, that they might see your good deeds and praise your Father who's in heaven. Some people look at this and they go, see, there's a contradiction. It's only 12 verses later, there's a contradiction. Jesus says, do your good works to be seen. And then he says, don't do your good works in order to be seen. Which one is it? Well, you've got to understand what he's saying. All right, in the, in the Matthew 5 passage, there's some times when we're to do our good works to demonstrate that God has changed us, that it might draw people to God that we live in such a way and love in such a way as to draw people to Jesus. And so we do those things that others might see them and be drawn to him. That's our motivation. But when we do our righteousness so that people in the spotlight comes on us, that's what Jesus is talking about here, not to do that. All right, and so we don't do this stuff to be praised by people, but God. And so did you notice in the reading of today's passage, that there's three ways uh, that we can do it right for these things, or there's two ways. We can, we can do these three practices in a right way, and we can do these three practices in a wrong way. Um, either way, he says you get a reward. So there's a right way, there's a wrong way. Both ways have a reward associated with them. Let's look at the wrong way uh, for these three practices. So the wrong way to give is to announce it with trumpets. Now, this didn't actually occur in the day. Jesus is being funny. And Jesus was actually a really funny guy. He was like OJ in that regard. Uh, OJ will be really excited that I said Jesus is like him and hopefully OJ is like Jesus. Um, but humor is a great thing. And Jesus was really, really funny back in the day. And so he's having a good time with the crowd as he's talking to them about this. And he's painting a picture of a guy who's got a trumpet in one hand and a dollar in the other. And he's parading around the temple. Da, 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 and he hands that dollar to the, to the guy in need. And all the attention is on him. He said, don't be like that. That's absurd. All right. And you're going to get your reward. All right, everybody sees what you're doing. And if you're really good, maybe the guy they gave the dollar to is not only going to thank you, but he's going to applaud you for your trumpet abilities, right? Uh, but that's not it. That's, that's it. That's all you get. All right, that, that's your reward. All right, if you pray and you flaunt your piety and you use these really big religious sounding words, you might get a few people to go, wow, that guy really uses some big words. Um, he must be really spiritual. All right, but that's it. You got your reward. If you fast in a way to let people know that you're fasting, I love the picture that Jesus paints here as well. Sally, she's preparing to fast and she doesn't want to boast about her fasting, but she thinks, you know, if I look a little ragged, maybe somebody's going to ask me why today. And, and uh, so I'm not going to wash my hair. I'll skip the makeup today. In fact, I might put a little brown and gray underneath my eyes. And, and she shows up at work, and she's not looking so good. So Sue immediately notices, and Sally, are you okay? What's, what's going on with you? She's, oh, I'm a little hungry today. So of course, Sue runs out, says, I hear it's a sandwich. Oh, no, 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 I can't today. Today I'm fasting. Now, she might get from Sue, oh, you're so spiritual. I've never fasted before. I'm not sure I could do that. Right? But she's got her reward. That's it. So that's the motive of our heart. When we do these things so that we get the attention of others, your reward is just that, the attention of others. He also points out three ways to do it right, three ways to do it differently, if you will, the right way. 
Starting out with our giving, he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Again, he's using humor. And I love this phrase. This has got me thinking. Think about it for a little bit. Your right hand and your left hand. And I'm going to put them behind here now because you guys are simply going to be looking at my right and my left hand. Um, your right and your left hand, they, they just, they, they don't care. I'm right hand dominant, so my left hand tends to just kind of jump in. And those times that my right hand tried to hit a nail, and there's been many of them, and missed and hit the left hand, the left hand doesn't go, you jerk, when are you gonna learn how to hit the hammer right? Uh, Michael and I were at Wake Forest last week um, where he committed to play football, by the way, um, and we were playing basketball. And I can throw a football through a hoop from a long way away, but I'm five feet from the basket and I can barely hit the backboard. I'm just horrible. My left hand doesn't say, you're horrible, let me take over. And they just, no, they work in tandem. You don't even think about it. It's just natural. That's how your giving should be, all right? Natural, instinctive, flowing. It's just a part of who you are. It's a part of your character now. And it's to be done, not for the attention of others, but in that secret place of our heart that gets the attention of God. Praying, the same thing. The emphasis is on the secret place, alone, Time with God and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Fasting, it's the same deal. Don't fast for the prayers of men, but fast to remind yourself of your desperate need for God, to bring yourself before him. And he will notice all in secret. And as we do, we get the promise of the reward, not the praise of men, but a reward that comes from God. You see what Jesus is doing here? by contrasting the two rewards. He's saying your desire and my desire for a reward is way too small. And it leads me to a quote that us pastors overuse, but we do it because it's just so good from C.S. Lewis. And here's what he said. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Jesus is inviting us to desire more, to desire a greater reward. If you fast or give or pray to be seen by people, the praise of people is what you're going to get. But Jesus says, desire more, and that more is approval from God. So let's go back to the parable that I started today's message with. The Pharisee at the temple is listing his accomplishments. Why do you think he's doing that? Because he's convinced that he's this great guy? No. He's not doing that because he's convinced he's great. He's doing that because he knows deep in his soul there's something missing. He's pining for the approval of others to try to fill up what's lacking in his soul. Problem is, people can't fill that need. Only God can. And so we've got to realize we're only as good as our last deed. We're only as liked as our last Instagram post. How short-sighted of us to grasp for rewards of time and let the rewards of eternity go by. But Jesus is offering an approval that doesn't go away. And if we'll learn to go there, it indeed changes us. So what is that reward specifically? And, and, and how come it's, how is it powerful to change me? Well, in that same parable, what does the tax collector do? We see him, instead of seeking approval of people, cry out for the approval of God. 
it reads, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, there's a different way to find approval, a whole new way. And it only happens between you and God. The tax collector here, really interestingly, When he says, God, have mercy on me, he doesn't use the normal word for mercy. He uses a word that's not normally used in this context. He uses the word hilasterion, which literally means, God, give me atonement. That's a fancy religious term. Some of you that are new, um, basically what it means, atonement is, I've got a sin problem that I can't take care of myself. All the things that I try to do to get rid of that sin will never work. They can never make me right before God, and I can never expunge myself from my responsibility for the sins I've committed. And so it brings us to a place where we're empty of ourselves, and we recognize we're desperate for God to do something for ourselves that we can't do for ourselves. And so that's atonement. God in his mercy, God in his love, takes away that sin. And here's how he did it. Hilasterion is just a beautiful word. In the Old Testament, the Jewish system of worship involved the temple. Before the temple, when Israel was wandering around in the desert, they had the tabernacle, which was a portable temple, a tent. But in both of these structures, in the tent and the tabernacle and in the temple, was this place called the Holy of Holies. And this is a place that was behind a veil that only one person, the high priest, once a year could go in behind that veil. And he did this on the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. And as he got into that place, there was the Ark of the Covenant. And inside the Ark of the Covenant were the Ten Commandments and Aaron's rod that had budded and some manna. And on the top of the Ark of the Covenant was this thing called the mercy seat, the hilasterion. And the high priest would come in once a year and he would offer a blood sacrifice. And he would do that to represent the atoning sacrifice that would be needed for the taking away of sins that we can't pay for our own sins. We need someone else to pay for those sins. And so Yom Kippur is a beautiful picture of the work of Christ that is necessary for all of us. So when the tax collector says, God have mercy on me as a sinner. He isn't saying for God to lower the standards and just kind of wink an eye at his sin. No, he's saying, God, take away my sin. Take away my guilt. Do something for me that I cannot do for myself. He's asking for the approval of God. And God delights in answering that prayer every time. Every single time. He does so still to this day. When they humble heart cries out and recognizes you're at the end of yourself and there's nothing you can do. And you cry out to God. God gives you the atonement because of what Christ has done, the hilasterion that you need. And here's how he does it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus takes our place. It says, he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf that we might have the righteousness of God. Do you see what he did here? He's the sacrifice. He's the substitute. 
He's the one who willingly took our place. And in doing so, gives us a right standing before God and his unconditional approval when we simply humbly come to him in secret, in that secret place of your heart. So when practicing your righteousness, be careful. Be careful not to do them to be seen by others. And if you catch yourself doing that, don't get down on yourself. Just just use it as a reminder that there's something in you that needs filling up. And by the way, no amount of digital likes is going to do that for you. There's something deeper going on here. You need God. Also, don't do them thinking that this is going to earn your points with God. Because it doesn't work that way. There's nothing you can do to obtain God's love. It's a free gift. It's a gift of grace. And so we don't do these things to be seen by others. We don't do these things to earn favor with God. Instead, in the secret place of your heart, let God meet you there and let him remind you of how utterly and completely you are forgiven, you are accepted, you are in right standing before him, and that he is crazy about you. And he delights every time that we come. And in that moment, if you want to offer something to God as as a way to say, God, I love you, here's the one thing in scripture that says pleases God, our faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Faith is the thing that pleases God. In 1 Peter 1.6, he says, our faith is precious to God. So when you come, having just given, having just prayed, having just fasted. Offer that by faith as an act of love and an act of worship to our God. And then let him remind you of the depth of his love that is so deep, that is so wide, that is so long, that it is going to take all of eternity for you and me to explore its depths. That's how much you are loved. Let's pray.